filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, and a whole lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. The other night, uh, my, my wife came downstairs from our daughter's room, and she was a little... Uh, nonplussed, I, I would say, and and she told me your daughter, not our daughter, coming. No, your daughter, which is how I knew this story to come was going to be good and bad. <laughs> uh, your daughter just told me I had to leave her room. She said, "Can you leave me alone so I can do my podcast?" <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's <laughs> she doesn't dope. know what a podcast is. She knows it involves a computer. And so she started right. pretending to type on a laptop, a pretend laptop. Um, she didn't know it involved a microphone. And it's funny because our wife has mused about starting a podcast with our daughter mm-hmm. at some point in the future, uh, which made my heart flutter as the host of two podcasts. Um, and, and Jason, you're on two podcasts as well. Mm-hmm. Ben, why are you slacking? I have to edit a podcast. You all, you all don't have to edit two podcasts. You know, Jason, he makes a good point. I, I spend more time editing this though. podcast than being on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fine. Ben gets a pass. Uh, anyway, I, I, I was tickled by it. Um, She's probably a better but, podcaster than all of us. Yeah, no, she totally would be a better podcast than us. She has great stories. Yeah, I mean that's half the battle. Yeah, and she makes her stories last much longer than mine. I'm I'm already done with my story. That was it. That was can the we, whole can, thing. Can we just can we? I just have a couple of notes. Can we do it again? It was good, but can we just replace you with her? <laughs> and yeah, I mean yes. Uh, okay, except that we record this. We we, we record this well over. Well, well, well past her bedtime. Oh, dang. That's, that's one issue. Um, yeah. Or what if we did your daughter, my daughter and Jason? I feel like that would probably, uh, number one, be delightful, but potentially too, too delightful. Uh, maybe, I don't know. The other thing is, I don't know if I want my daughter talking to Jason that much. Ooh, yeah. Your daughter, your son and my daughter. Like, I, all right, th- that would not be an intelligible podcast. <laughs> but it would be the my, most my delightful. My son is not quite a year and a half, and he definitely only has a few words right now. He, he, that doesn't keep him from talking, mind you. Right, exactly. Um, they're just not all words that he's saying. I mean, they're words, they're just not English words. <laughs> <clears throat> you, that, that's, that's charitable for, for my son, I would say. Um, anyway, the other thing my daughter did was ask for a number shirt like daddy's for, for Christmas <laughs> oh. this year. I asked her what number she wanted. She said 100, um, because that's her favorite number. 
Because she likes to keep it 100. Yeah, she, you've met her. She's always keeping it <laughs> I know. Um, and, and I said, well, it, they don't usually do three three digits on a, on a shirt. What about number 10? That's, that's kind of like 100. Uh, do you know who wears number 10? And she yelled, Lucho! And no. so I think I may have, may have sold her on, on that one. What does she call him? The short man? The small man? The little, he's a little guy. He's the little guy. Yes. <laughs> Delightful. He's Lucho. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Phil Buster, the Black and Red United, and me talking about my kids' Deal With It podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com, and we are in mourning. Yeah. Sackcloth. DC United out of the 2018 playoffs in the knockout round. We're going to talk about the penalty kick loss to the no, Columbus crew. No, we won't. We, we, we are. No. And then we'll do something in the second segment. We haven't quite decided yet. It's going to be a good show, you guys. So please stick around. Before we do anything, of course, we have to do this. Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? Uh. I was going to make a margarita, uh, but then I realized that even after pushing the start time back 10 minutes, uh, it was like 9.08, and I was grabbing the empty shaker and was like, I'll make a margarita. And I looked at the clock, and I was like, I won't make a margarita. <laughs> um, so I grabbed the uh, trusty bottle of Cavassier and had that on some ice. Ben? Uh, like Jason, I also have a brandy, but mine is an American brandy because I love America. Unlike Jason, um, I'm drinking a sidecar with, uh, Paul Masson, uh, American brandy, which is owned by the, uh, uh, it's aged with the, uh, Barton 1792 family of bourbon barrels, uh, in Bardstown, Kentucky. Uh, but made with California grapes and it's a sidecar. It's good. Brandy is the oldest American spirit, even older than whiskey. Did they make it from grapes originally? No, 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 no. It was, it was usually apple brandy or peach brandy. Apples, peaches, pears. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think in fact, George Washington made apple brandy. Yeah, he did. From Virginia apples. Yeah, I, I picked I, some. I, I picked some Virginia apples this weekend up near uh, Charlottesville. Have you made brandy out of them? I have not. My wife made an Why apple. Are you fri- slacking, Ben? My my wife made an apple crisp out of them. All right, that's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> All right, fine. I am drinking. Um, reading the label here very carefully. Pub beer. Hmm. Interesting. It's from Ten Barrel Brewing Company. Um, in Bend, Oregon, they uh, the the story of this beer is it was a lager that they made to drink themselves, and they would share it with friends. And then word got around, and there was pressure on them to to release it. And so it was probably the cheapest uh, beer per unit um, in the craft section at the grocery store this weekend. So I said, "Fine, I'll try it." Um, the the stark white. Late, or stark white packaging with black letters uh, it cracked me up too. It looked like, you know, just generic things from your health book when you were in high school. Um, like the labels for potato chips and, and everything else was just white with a black, black lettering. Um, and that's how they, they did this. And I, I laughed when I saw it and I said, fine, you got me with your non-branding branding. And uh, it's, it's not bad. It's, it's like better Budweiser. 
That's not that a ringing fine. endorsement. No, I mean, it's fine. It's it's a, an absolutely... It's fine. It's also not a ringing endorsement. No, it's an absolutely drinkable uh, lager, American lager. Okay. And that's sometimes that's what you want. You know, That's true. It, it, it's, it's not over-hopped within an inch of its life, Ben, so you'll appreciate that. I do and appreciate that. And it's not trying to be more than it is. It's just... They, they say crushable on it, which... Okay. Uh, it's just a very drinkable, easy beer that it w- was pretty cheap. So I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, and it's supporting a craft brewery that's probably doing more interesting things as well. So whatever. I don't want to, I don't want to go into the actual segment. It makes me sad. We don't have to. It's our podcast. We can do whatever we want. How was your all uh, Halloween's? It was good. My kids were Elsa and Olaf. They were very cute. Lily was a uh, multicolored skeleton. Nice. Did you teach her how to sing What's This? What's This? No. Why are you slacking, Ben? Uh, That's a good question. I mean, (laughs) it all goes back to when I was a child. All right. Ben's convinced me it's time to talk about soccer. It's over, at least for this year. DC United eliminated from the MLS Cup playoffs on penalties by the Columbus crew on Sunday. Uh, after taking an early lead through Frederick Briant, DC United let Columbus back into the game. Uh, Federico Iguain uh, scored the equalizer later in the first half. Things ended up level at one after 90 minutes. Both teams exchanged goals in extra time. Pipa Iguain scoring his second of the game before Nick DeLeon hit a screamer very late. I think 116th minute yep. uh, late uh, to send it to penalties where of course he would miss the deciding one uh, after fo- following in the well-worn footsteps of Wayne Rooney and Lucho Acosta missing their penalties. Um, and Columbus prevailed three to two went on thankfully to beat the Red Bulls one, nothing at, Mafre Stadium midweek, but that's not what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, it, it it hurts, especially this year, I think, because this team was poised for for something more, and and they could have gotten it. it. It feels like they actually could have gone on a run, which is the first time in more than ten years that they went to the playoffs really. It, with a real feeling, I think that that they belonged and that they could make some real noise. Even in 2016, when they they also had a home game in the knockout round, it it, it felt like they were had caught lightning on in a bottle, and maybe they could do something. But it was still uh, a little bit tenuous, and and this year it felt like something different, and that's part of why I think it hurt more. Yeah, I've been paying attention to DC United for almost 10 years now and this is the this is definitely the best team they've had in those 10 years. Uh like you said, the 2016 team caught lightning in a bottle, but this team is definitely better than that team if you put both of them on a field against each other and cloned the uh the people who crossed both teams. This team would definitely beat the 2016 team. And so for that reason, even though it was, it, it, it 
coalesced in the second half of the year, but this team was definitely better. This team had a lot going for it. And just to see it end that quickly was just a little heartbreaking because this team could do more. I feel like if you play that game 10 times, this DC United team wins seven times, out of, maybe not six or seven times out of 10. And it's, it's just, it's just rough. It's, it's emotional and we're feeling bad about it. And it's okay to feel bad about it. This team deserves to do a little better and we'll get into things that can change for next year later on and throughout this off season, but this team deserved a little better and it's okay to feel that way. Yeah. The feeling this most reminded me of more, a lot more than 2016 or, or even 2012 was the, the 2007 elimination. Uh, I think, because that was at home, because it was a really good team um, that, I mean, they had injuries in the playoffs, but it just, yeah. that, well, they, that was the, that was the playoff series that loss against Chicago that made me as a fan. Like mm. you go through losses and I feel like you find out who you are as a fan in yeah. those losses, like how you react to them and how you feel about them. And that's when I realized I was officially died in the wool. Uh, DC United after moving to the city in 2006, the, that 2007 playoff exit. And this felt a lot like that. Yeah. I mean, this was tough. Uh, this was a team that, you know, you look at the rest of the playoff field and um, I would argue that United should have taken five or even seven points against the Red Bulls in the regular season. Um, they were getting very close to There's like a mentality thing there. Um, but I think that, they were the next game was going to be the game that they broke through against them. Um, United has won four of the six meetings with Atlanta. It's clearly a team that they know how to beat. And then Atlanta probably has a little bit of a, uh, we don't want to play those guys. Um, So that would have been, I think a a matchup to not be afraid of. They DC just beat NYCFC recently. I don't think that's a team to be afraid of. Um, So, yeah, I, I think the field, out there for a real run at MLS cup. It was, it was doable. It wasn't unrealistic. It wasn't like, you know, the 2016 team um, was great at scoring goals, but it was also every game felt like, um, you know, shake the dice and throw them out there and see what happens. It didn't feel like, Oh, they're definitely going to win. It was like, well, some stuff is going to happen, but I don't know what's going to happen. It it could be anything. Um, And, you know, they came up snake eyes against uh, the impact. Um, which it, it always felt like that that kind of felt maybe not, you know, being down for nothing at home, but certainly some sort of thud felt like it was coming um, in that that mix of that. Um, this time, uh, you know, the, the there were a couple things bouncing around the back of my head that were a little worrisome. Mostly they were fatigue um, and uh, eventually having to go on the road and, and possibly having to get something on the road and not just um, keep it close. Um, But I I really did think that this was a team that could get all the way to MLS cup. Um, Maybe not. I didn't maybe think that they were going to, but I thought it was possible. It wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't having to work to talk myself into it and do the fan thing where I was like, no, no, they can do it. They can do it. This one was like, uh, what is there to actually fear in the East this time compared to this team? Um, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, they caught Columbus on the wrong day. The crew came in and um, 
Iguain has turned the clock back in the in the playoffs so far about five years. Um, I hate playing against him. He's he he's one of the guys who seems to always turn it on against DC United, and I hate him for that. You know, I think um, some of the crew players were even saying like, yeah, Iguain in the playoffs is like a, he's like a different guy, man. Um, So, you know, they caught him on the wrong night. Um, They, you know, they would have always had a very good plan in place um, to make it difficult to play against, but they also had to execute. And I I thought going into the game, I thought I, I wasn't, concerned about the plan i was i I thought that dc would be able to take advantage of a lack of execution from columbus i didn't think that the crew would be able to defend for 90 minutes at high enough of a level to keep united off the board um and or, or keep them off the board enough i should say um but they were able to do it um you know it it's it sucks but uh that's what happens sometimes i mean soccer can be a little cruel i i don't buy the um I've seen some some folks both here and nationally say that they felt Columbus was the better team on the night. I don't buy it. Um, I mean, that's yeah, just I looking think, at the shot total and saying, "Oh, well, they had more shots, so therefore they were the better right. team." If you if you just watched the last half hour of the first half, I right. can see you getting that impression. But DC United were the better team for the entirety of the second half and, and for most time. of extra time. Yeah, um, um, the one it, moment of Iguain's brilliance notwithstanding. Yeah. It's a thing we do, not just, this isn't just DC United fans. This is, I think this is a sports fan thing. Um, when you get an underdog, um, and Columbus was the underdog in this game, and they play the favorite close, we tend to give them like an extra little bump of credit that it wasn't really there. We're like, no, no, no they were actually even better than the the uh, the favorite. Did you see it? Um, and then when you go back and look at it again, you're like, uh, actually, you know, they, they had to ride their luck at times. Um, and the fact that the crew were the better team in the earlier part of the game gives that first impression that is mm-hmm. hard to shake sometimes. Yeah. And, it, you know, in both cases, you know, DC was better for a longer period, but maybe not better by as much as Columbus was during that um, chunk of the first half where they were in charge. Um, but uh, in either case, you know, it. It's a game where I, I'm glad at least that there's not there are things that definitely could have been better. Um, but it's not one where it's like, oh, if it wasn't for that glaring mistake or if it wasn't for this or if it wasn't for that. I mean, um, yes, they went out on penalties, but at the same time, the game was played at a pretty high level. It wasn't like um DC made mistakes. I mean, they made any goal you go up involves mistakes, but they weren't big mistakes, they were little mistakes, and Columbus did really well. I mean that header um, that header from Iguain was ridiculous for it to get into that corner of the goal was crazy. Yeah. So um, the cross like all Harrison awful was great all game for, yeah. for Columbus and the cross he hit to Iguain for that goal. Like there's not a lot of players uh, on a lot of teams that y- you just no questions asked if he's available. You would say, yes, please. Harrison right. awful, I think is one of those guys. And he, he showed why in this game. Um, I want to talk about the atmosphere at Audi field because I feel like everyone in the building had the same feeling we did where this team could be special. And, and that's why the, the Chico stand was, was full way earlier than it usually is. And that's why the stadium was completely full way earlier than it usually is when, when it is full. Um, DC has turned into a late arriving crowd. Um, 
which I don't love, but well, you can't always change it. This this game wasn't as much like that, though. People were in their seats. They were ready to go, um, at least relatively close to kickoff. And the place got so loud. It was so good, especially when Nick DeLeon scored that goal. Like Everyone was hoarse, and they just kept screaming louder somehow anyway. The um, the press box actually shook when that goal went in. Um, if, people didn't, if people didn't see that tweet when it when it uh, went out during the game because you were freaking out, uh, that that happened. Um, uh, it was actually kind of the whole experience was kind of crazy from there. Um, the crew players who traveled but didn't suit up uh, sat in the our seats in the press box. Me and Stephen Streff are in front of the away coaches box and the crew don't have a large enough coaching staff. Uh, they don't put that box to use. So um, it was just their players that, that didn't dress. So Lalas Abubakar and I didn't get a good look at whoever else it was um, were the two guys up there. And when they scored their first goal, you could hear thumping on the, the table or on the glass, perhaps, um, you know, I didn't turn around to look, but uh you know, they're back there going. It was kind of like having an away supporter section in the press box, um, <laughs> which is kind of a weird experience. But um, yeah, it was. I mean, I know that there were a chunk of crew fans, uh, and they sit. The away section is not far from that end of the press box, so we usually get an earful from them. But in this game, I I knew they were there, but I didn't hear them. Um, so that's pretty remarkable because we're on the opposite side from the the supporters stand we're, we're far away from it and yet um i couldn't even hear the crew the traveling crew support and i was pretty close to where they sit so yeah i assume they were being wild. drowned out by the other dc united fans at that end of the stadium yep. the number of times that i would point out to to my friend josh i was sitting with just like pointing around the entire stadium at all the arms up for for various chants and stuff and you could you could tell everyone was into it. Like this was the first time that at Audi field that I had stood at my seats for the majority of the game. I mean, I spent one game in the supporter stand in, in the Chico stand, excluding that one where I stood the whole time I was in my normal seats in section one thirty one and standing for most of the game along with everyone around us. Um, and, and just the people trying to will the team on, it was, it was such a good atmosphere. Um, and it kept going even after the penalty loss. Um, Bill Hamid was on the ground inconsolable, even after his teammates had come over to salute the fans and, and left, he was still just picking himself up and you could hear, you could tell the supporters just directing all the love in the world that they had towards Bill Hamid to pick him up and get him back on his feet. Um, it was really cool to see that like that that's a moment that's going to to stick with me um as far as the connection between fans and a player and that that can exist and one of the reasons sports are are good um and like i'm remembering it and starting to tear up myself so somebody else talk it was i mean yeah it was it was good to see people that aren't um necessarily died in the wool long-term supporters. Um, Cause there were definitely people there who were new to this team or relatively new to it. Um, but for them to be taking up chanting um, during the game, not just cheering for goals, but um, being loud when nothing actually is, is making you be loud. Um, 
And that's really the key. That's the difference between a good atmosphere and a not good atmosphere is that um, it's what you do when there's not some obvious thing that you would be excited about. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the place was so loud. I mean, Stephen and I, if we had to talk about something, we were having to yell at each other. Um, I, I must've said what to Steven, like 20, 30 times during the game. I just couldn't hear him. Um, it was, it was crazy. Um, you know, uh, I was glad to see also that, you know, for the most part, I, I think there was one note of some kind of beer being thrown into one of the goals during a, one of the penalties. Um, but, you know, I, I contrast with the the atmosphere at Audi Field versus what happened with LAFC. And I think, you know, um, mostly this is what you want. You know, there's, there's one chant uh, starting with a C that not everybody took up, but some people took mm. up and they should definitely not do that again. Um, yeah, which but, is uh, what I was saying. Every time they did start, I would yell not to yeah, yell that. Right. Um, and you know, that's, that's something that the supporters groups are going to have to address in the off season amongst themselves. Cause any, any time we've seen this in the league and there have been, this is not a, you know, this is not uh Chicago or some of the other groups that have had bigger problems. It sounds like maybe like, 25% of the people over there are doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, these things don't really end when the team tells you to stop. They, they, they end when the fans among themselves say, we can't do this. We shouldn't be doing this. It's not right. Right. Um, and it's this particular chant is one that they did when I, they'd been doing, I think forever when I first got to DC. And mm-hmm. I remember finding out that it, means and the the most reasonable interpretation of it is a homophobic slur and decided I wouldn't do it anymore. And mm-hmm. it, it eventually unrelated to me, I think it did phase out for a little while, but it came right. back this year and right. got came back more and more as the year went on. Um, and there was a big debate I know on the, the district ultras Facebook page uh, where, where some of the, the leaders of district ultra said, we haven't done that in our group because that's what it means. And right. Some other members. of groups. You okay, Ben? Yeah, I'm good. I just, okay. You just sighed into the microphone. Okay. And some members of other groups defended it and it was, it was discussion got a little bit ugly, but. Right. I mean, the position of this podcast is not to chant that, but other than that, the atmosphere was absolutely incredible. There was a story. One of the commenters on black and red United talked about his wife took their kids home a mile away in the Navy yard at the end of 90 minutes. And she got to their front door as Nick DeLeon scored and she could hear not only the roar of the crowd, but the DC United chants afterward, because mm-hmm. it, that's how loud it was. And she was literally a mile away from the stadium. There's a video of someone in her house. Like f- she, she took a selfie video and you can hear very loudly and clearly the, the crowd. And she's like, I'm inside. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm glad she took that approach. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's talk about the actual game. Uh, a little bit credit to Columbus. They, they came in with a plan and like Jason said, they executed it. Jason, it, I think everyone kind of can see pretty easily that their plan centered on breaking the connection between Lucho and Rooney. How is it? They actually did that. Um, I think it's a lot of it is a, um, 
just down to positioning, one thing they definitely changed from their normal approach is that Artur wasn't really box to box anymore. He just sort of stayed home, um, which which gave them that extra body in that space um, alongside Will Trap. Normally, Trap gets left kind of on an island um, at times defensively. Uh, they take that risk so that he's able to um, have that space to possess. But if you look at um, the defensive maps and the passing maps and all that stuff, um, they're kind of occupying the same space. And it's because they really wanted to make sure that um, the area in front of the center backs that we call zone 14 um, was not available for Rooney and Acosta to make those, those quick combinations that have been really the, um, the catalyst for all of this stuff that United has done on the attack. Um, They also, I I thought it was interesting before the game that they played uh, Jonathan Mensa and Gaston Sauro, um, both of whom are center backs that like to step up into play um, rather than track back. I thought that was maybe a mistake because I, my assumption was that they wouldn't be able to stop those combinations. And thus by having two center backs stepping in, it would just leave more space for the, whoever receives that last pass to run into. Um, but because the their defensive midfielders did such a good job um, locking that space down, um, those two, when one of them would step forward, was basically the third man in. And thus, you know, it goes from um, a 2v2 that was difficult to work to now it's a 2v3 and, and someone's getting physical. They were really physical on Rooney, not in a... Um, a dirty way. Um, I can't say that for how they played against everybody in this game, but against Rooney, they just managed to always get a body and always get his shoulder in a little bump here and there. He never had that moment where he could set his feet and do exactly what he wanted. Um, and that, you know, that was a risk they took um, based on the idea that, you, you know, United's attack is very in the, in terms of how the roles are set up, it's very indirect. Um, Rooney drops off the front line. Acosta is always going, you know, side to side rather than uh, being a very direct player. Yamil Asad cuts in. Um, when Paul Ariola isn't up there, you, you know, Segura is maybe the most direct player in that front four that started, but he's not a very direct player either. Um, and so Columbus decided to, <clears throat> to flood that zone um, and take the risk that United wouldn't have anybody to punish them by making just straight line runs in behind. Um, and, you know, maybe this, you know, I'm, we're going to get into the substitution pattern, but this kind of cried out for um, getting Ariola f- uh, forward earlier or bringing Darren Maddox in earlier or doing something <laughs> that would have had, you know, given Columbus a reason to back off uh, of that space and give those two more room and, and, um, as long as the game went on without that, the crew game plan, the risks that they, cause you're always, every defensive plan is in, involving like, okay, this is the risk we're comfortable taking. And this is the thing we don't want to happen. Um, and Columbus was clearly willing to risk someone running in behind their center backs and, and a pass breaking through based on the reward of clogging up that central zone and just not letting Rooney and Acosta make those passes. And they did a great job of not not letting that the risk they were taking get exposed. Um, it wasn't anything too brilliant. It wasn't like they changed what they normally do by a dramatic amount. They just, um, they asked Artur to stay home more than he does. And they, uh, they just did a great job from there. It was, uh, 
um, performance that was very low on mistakes from Columbus. And that's one of those things that you can't, you know, when you're, when you're planning it, you're, you're creating a tactical plan for a game. Everyone's like, yeah, let's not make a bunch of mistakes, but you know, the players have to go out and not make those mistakes. And so a lot of it, and I think Greg Berhalter even indicated that a lot of it was just down to their players playing extremely well. Yeah. I would have liked to see even outside of the subs, um, I would have liked to see some kind of emphasis on getting Segura in behind. He's not as fast as Ariola, but he's probably the fastest of those front four uh, that were out there. And United could can move the ball around and then and pull the defense over to one side and then hit it to the weak side. They've done that to Ariola in the past, but it seemed like Segura kept wanting to come centrally as opposed to stay out wide more, which might have helped a little bit. Um, Lucho kept coming into the left back space to pick up the ball. And so did Assad. The number of times I would see Mora very advanced and Assad forced to stay back with the the defenders was, especially in the second half, really kind of bizarre to see that keep happening um, in, instead of them finding a way to rotate it differently. Uh, but th- that's how it goes. Let's talk about the subs a little bit. Uh, Can I talk about the starters first? I, I want to talk about one specific starter for a sec, if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah, of course. I hate Areola as a fullback, and it's bad. I, I can't do it anymore. It's, it, it can't happen anymore. I think any possible right back is better than Areola starting there because he's so good uh, as a, as a uh, right midfielder that – that has to be his position and they just have to figure out some, some other sub for the right back when Nick DeLeon or O'Neill Fisher isn't able to go. Yeah. Hopefully next year they have their full complement of, of right backs um, back uh, whether they sign a new one or not, but yeah, it's, it's maybe something to be concerned about because Fisher's injury is not, you know, in the best of best case scenarios, he's still not going to be ready to go for the opener. Um, yeah. and, and I think, is fighting I think cancer. Goff, yeah. And I think Steve Goff mentioned that they might even be thinking more like summer for Fisher rather than late spring. Oh, wow. Um, because it's, I mean, it was, a, it, it was one of those things where nothing was completely destroyed, but everything was damaged. Um, uh, so yeah, there's that. And, you know, De Leon, uh, it's, a. it sounds to me like what they did was remove his meniscus, which means he's, he'll be able to function at a high level, but he also need recovery time. Um, right. so they might need to address, uh, right back. If, you know, if the fact is that, um, there was never, um, I, I mean, they didn't give Kevin Ellis a single game at right back. Um, Jalen Robinson, we know, Olsen doesn't want to play him at right back unless he absolutely has to. So um, you're looking at two guys that Olsen can't bring himself to start in a, in a crunch game. Uh, a third guy who doesn't really belong at right back um, and a guy who uh, won't be available for a while. So um, yeah, it's going to be, it might be a position we see added to, even though it sounds like there's a lot of depth because they do lose a lot when Ariola isn't up there. They lose that directness. They lose that speed, uh, not mm. necessarily long distance speed, but short distance speed that, that burst over 10 yards that can make all the difference, especially 
the way United plays, the whole thing is dragging a bunch of people towards Rooney and Acosta and then them having the technical ability to still get the pass away. Um, and, you know, you bring those guys in close and then you dish the ball off and there's Ariola running onto it. And um, you lose that when um, you don't. I mean, Segura's not nearly as fast. Assad, I think, um, I suspect that Assad's ankle injury from that Red Bulls game never, it, it was healed enough that he could return, but it was never actually healed. Um, And uh, yeah, you, you lose something when everybody in the front four is on the slower side. Um, And Ariola was that, that, that difference maker. He was, you know, in this mix of elements, you need that just like you see some teams where you've got a bunch of small technical guys and then they have some like ogre of a forward. Um, you need that contrast of things. You don't want to be too similar uh, across the board. And I think maybe um, the front four we saw in this game was a little too similar as a group. I'm inclined to agree. And I think uh, Zoltan Stieber falls into that same category. He would have been very similar. And Segura was not great. And the team was better when Stieber came on. Yeah. But uh, the idea being there for some kind of change of pace was sound. Uh, I I was not as down on Ariola as a fullback as Ben was, but I, I you know, hindsight, maybe he should have been <laughs> at, at right midfield to start this game. At the very least, uh, I, I would have liked to see him move up uh, at all. He he was taken well, out of the game because he was injured. Yeah. Um, and I, but I would have liked I, to see that change come sooner. Yeah, and I strongly, uh, I am am 99% sure that when they called De Leon over, it wasn't to replace Ariola. Right. It was going to be to replace Sakura and move Ariola forward. But in the time it took, um, and this is a thing that happens in every game, you know, we, we have a good perch to see the sub process um, from Johnny Northeast leading the subs down to warm up and all this other stuff. Um, and it it's not an instantaneous thing, um, you know, the stadium's loud. Ben Olsen's down there trying to yell uh, to get their attention and they could not hear him at all. It was, um, it wasn't until somebody down there saw Olsen waving um, that they then looked and then they could read lips and see Nikki being said. And then he ran over, Um, you know, it's not as straightforward as we would think. Um, And, you know, maybe that's something, you know, they can invest in something small, like the little, um, shirt microphone that the training staff wears when they go out to mm-hmm. check on a player, they could get Johnny Northeast, one of those um, so that he could have an earpiece in and, and hear that rather than having, you know, uh, trying to scream in the middle of 20,000 people who are also screaming. Um, but, you know, in that time, Ariola took the tackle that put him out of the game. He, he, in the locker room, um, this wasn't said to the media, but I overheard him say that it wasn't, a severe injury by any means. It was going to make it hard for him to run for the rest of that game, but it wasn't something that was going to put him out or require any sort of um, real medical procedure. He just, you know, he was going to be hampered for the game and it became too much of a, a problem for him to carry on in a game like that. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that certainly is just, it's, that's one of those bad luck things that you need to avoid in the knockout round. Um you know, losing your potential game changing substitution uh, based on an injury. That's not great. Um, you know, Stieber, I, th- I think this might've been a better game for him to come in earlier for the fact that if Acosta and Rooney are kind of being taken out of the game by the crew, 
um, you need somebody else that's more of a creator. And As- mm-hmm. Assad gets a lot of assists, but he's not necessarily the most creative player. Um, Stieber, I think, could have come in for Segura and given United a little more of a boost in terms of, of generating chances for others from that side. I think that could have happened a little earlier. Um, I understand that the thought process going in was probably, well, we'll bring Delion in for Ariola, and that's how we'll boost our attack. That'll be our first real attacking move. Um, but once that came off the board, I think maybe it should have been five, 10 minutes later um, that Stieber was getting into this one. I think, I think the game was, was possibly there to be won in regulation. I think United needed to push a little harder um, and take the game then uh, rather than go to extra time. Um, I think that's something that they might look back and regret a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Um, You mentioned the tackle on Areola and you alluded earlier to uh, not every player being tackled cleanly or anything like cleanly um ladies and gentlemen mls pro referee alan chapman in the house he was terrible in this yeah. game there were i mean this is one of those uh people will say he was bad for both sides and that's true that's correct it it, it also is in my mind obfuscating a little bit because mm-hmm. one team benefited a lot more from his leniency than the other. And that was the team that was kicking Lucho Acosta. Um, it, it, it's, it's frustrating because you see uh, Pipa Higuain just like doing everything he can just to disrespect Chapman early, uh, early on taking 20 minutes to get back to midfield after his goal, refusing to stand off a free kick. And it took, a good 30 seconds of Chapman telling him to back off of a free kick before he finally gave him which, uh, the yellow card. He was demanding, which was the only yellow uh, for actions on the field that he gave. Yeah, um, that's right. He gave, he in, gave a, in a game that was like, you know, bordering on this sort of blood and thunder kind of uh, hard tackles all over the place kind of thing. The only yellow card he game for gave, for an on the field action was a refusal to back off of a free kick from a player that um, had basically earned the yellow before by taking, you know, the, the slowest jog possible after scoring his goal to, to get back to midfield. Um, the other yellow was for a guy on the bench. Uh, I, I assume it was descent or something. No, um, he threw a ball on the field. He threw the ball. Okay. Um, yeah. That's, yeah uh, that's absurd. Go ahead, Ben. Chapman needed to take control of this game from the very beginning, and he just declined to do so. He just let the players and he let the players do what they wanted to do, and the Columbus players wanted to make this a super negative game where they could just foul anybody that they wanted to at any time and not have any repercussions. And uh, it's hard to say whether or not it affected the game overall. Uh, I'm loath to say that it did, but it made the game worse to watch and worse to experience. So at, at that very least level, it affected the game. Well, I mean, I think you can say it contributed to two injuries in this. Oh game. yes, that too. Yeah. For sure. Um, I mean, and, and I, yeah, I mean the aerial injury and then Pedro Santos for, for the crew. Right. Who, um, it, it turns out was well enough to play. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Today. So I, I think DC United fans get a pass for doing him as he was stretchered off the field. Which only came after he. I think context matters. 
on that. I, I wasn't booing him as he went off the field. I booed him until the stretcher came out because he had stood up and then let himself back down. And in the context of the crew's time wasting over the course of the game to that point, they lost the benefit of the doubt in, in those situations. Well, Once the stretcher came, came out, okay, I'm going to stop booing, but I completely understand why some fans did not. I mean, I, I think what a lot of people missed in that moment was, and maybe, maybe you know, if you're on the wrong side of the stadium, you couldn't really see the body language or facial expression. But uh, when he tried to put weight on his leg, he was not. It, it was not a um, an act. It was as soon as his foot, like as soon as oh, he gotcha. shifted his weight, he was miserable. Um, but yeah, uh, I think Berhalter was playing a pretty savvy game after the game. By um, he didn't come out and say that he thought there should have been any punishment. Uh, for the tackle, but he he was talking about a like six inch scar from studs and all this other stuff. Um, but then he was not, not only was he playing on the weekend, he also was training in there. Um, when they got back to Columbus, they trained the day before he was training as well. So um, it's one of those things where for for a regular person, I'm sure you know having a gash opened on your ankle. Uh, I know from experience, it's bad when you have to go back and live a regular life. Um, but for an MLS player, that's just like a, that's just a, a Tuesday. That's just what happens to you. Um, but yeah, um, the, my main problem with, with Chapman can be summed up by, and you know, I came in knowing that the crew were going to kick Acosta. Everyone kicks Acosta. Um, they always come in and they take the risk that MLS referees won't understand the very basic. Um, it's a, it's a strategy. It's an intentional plan. It's not a, an accident. It's a, we're going to foul him because it slows them down. It makes him less effective. It gets him upset. Um, and they don't have that many targets on set pieces. We're going to take the chance that it's not going to come back to bite us. Um, every team that comes to Audi field does this to Luciano Acosta. It's, it's an every game thing. And somehow it doesn't get picked up on. Um, and this is a PRO thing. You know, I, I cover the spirit and NWSL coaches have the same complaint that, um, teams come in intentionally trying to kick a given player on, on their team and the referees call the foul, but they don't pick up on the fact that 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 is eligible for persistent infringement. It's not doesn't mm-hmm. have to be one player committing many fouls. It's if you are fouling one player over and over again, that is persistent infringement. Um, right. And, and I think there was Chapman, one ref who who did that for who actually enforced it, yeah, it happened once this year, year, though, and not yeah, every time. game. Um, I noted uh, on our account. And the seventh minute that Acosta, he had just been taken down a third time and there was no foul call. And I was like, you know, Lucho has been down three times and he's been called for, or he's suffered two fouls and we're in the seventh minute. So get, you know, get used to it. And Chapman called only two more fouls for Acosta for the entire rest of the game. And the last one came in the 123rd minute, according to Opta. Um, and this was a game where he he realistically could have been, you know, his foul suffered number could have been 11 or 12 easily. Um, and it's just, it's not specific to DC United. It happens a lot because of how Acosta plays the game. Um, but I guarantee there are games where Iguain has suffered the similar treatment um, that the crew are fully aware of why teams do it. Everyone knows what they're doing. Um, and MLS referees and PRO as a group needs to do 
a much, much better job of paying attention. It's a simple thing. It's, it's a thing that high school teams do. It's not complicated. Um, right. Maybe this and is just recognize it, recognize the pattern, recognize that it's a tactic. It's not an accident. It's intentional. Right. This is one of the places where English influence kind of ruins the game uh, a little bit in because the only place old English, <laughs> it said one of the places, uh, the, the idea that soccer is a, a hard game and you should get kicked and, and whatever nonsense um, comes from old timey English soccer. Um, another one that there's an American notion that the, you should let the players play in the playoffs, especially and the referee shouldn't decide the game. Yeah, That's but an American by, sports by thing. Ab- definitely. That's bullshit, yeah, but, but it is, but, but by it's abdicating, you yeah. are still making an active choice. You can let the players play the game the way the rules say they should be and enforce the rules, or you can step aside and let a, a soccer game turn into a knife fight, which yeah. is not a soccer game. It's a different, it's a different thing. And, um, and players will take whatever edge you give them. Exactly. So if you um, say, you know, if you show players with your actions, you know, it's fine. If you kick this guy, I'm, I, I might call a foul, but I'm not going to put you in the book um, unless you go way over the top. Um, yeah. Then they're going to say, okay, uh, you know, I'm not going to go in studs up, but I'm definitely going to trip him. I'm definitely going to shove him over. I'm, I'm going to give him a little uh, kick with the, the toe rather than with the studs. Um and it's it's stop you know behind the play like. yeah and it uh, was it uh the last home game of the season i think um bill hamid made note of um he i think the exact quote was roughly uh lucho gets kicked a lot in every single game we played um and he kept his you know he was singing lucho's praises but he was you know right. it's an obvious thing like teams are going to kick him every single game for 90 minutes until they have a reason to not do so um, and soccer has said, you know, FIFA and MLS have said they want to protect, um, and, and encourage attacking play. And what you do in those situations is you call fouls and you give out yellow cards. And Alan Chapman was like, uh, look, man, um, uh, I didn't see, it was like a WWE referee. Like, oh, I didn't yeah, see anything. I don't exactly know. Right. And, you know, Arthur is hitting him with a chair. Ah. <sighs> That's enough on the referee um, and and probably enough for this segment. We've been going on almost 50 minutes, but one more thing, one last thing on this segment. How do you feel going into this off season? We talked about how this loss hurt, but it, it's been a few days now. The, the sting is dulled a little bit. Ben, how are you feeling coming into this off season? Uh, okay, but not great. Uh, they did. They did. They've done some great, mid-season stuff the past couple of years, but I've still not been proven that they can do good a, a good off-season. They haven't been able to do it the past couple of years, so I am wary. I'm not... Con- uh, until they show me otherwise, I'm not convinced that they can do a good... Uh, especially a good non-draft-based off-season. Yeah. Uh, it's... When you have a player like Wayne Rooney, the draft doesn't matter nearly as much. It, it's not going to be the key to this off season. The key to this off season is going to be uh, all of the things we say in the, in the next segment, it's going to be signing a center rack. It's going to be getting more wingers. It's going to be getting another striker. It's going to be a lot of things, but it's not going to be. Yeah. Well, you asked me, Um, it's not going to be drafting someone in the late first round, which is where DC United is going to be. And so I'm not convinced yet 
that Dave Casper can do that. I hope he can. I think he probably can, but I'm not convinced yet. So I, I don't have a ton of confidence in it. So I'm happy with what they did this year and what they did in the middle of the season last year, but I'm not convinced they can yet that they can repeat it this off season. Well, I'm feeling a little better than that. I think um, because of the progress made this year on and off the field, um, knowing that Loudoun County is coming online next year, even if they do end up playing all their games at Audi field, uh, Hmm. knowing that there's, there's infrastructure in place, I think, does make me feel a little better and seeing the additions over the last year and a half. Um, even if they haven't all been in the off season, very few of the, the good ones have been in the off season. Um, I, I am hopeful and seeing the team's starting point being higher. Obviously they can't stand Pat. We'll, we'll talk about that in the next segment, I think. Um, but I think they know that they need to move forward. Finally, hopefully, they figure out they need to move forward both during the off season and during the mid season window. Um, but you know, it, it's hard not to feel a little optimistic seeing what happened at Audi field this year. Spe- I think. Speak, speak for yourself. For me, it's hard uh, not to feel optimistic. I, I've got to say, I'm pretty excited when I look at this roster and I see of the starting 11 um, and, and you know, of the best starting 11, most of these guys aren't, aren't about to turn 30 like Rooney and Briant are on the older side. But other than that, everyone else is not even in their prime yet for the most part. Um, maybe Burnbaum is in his prime. That's it. Uh, maybe, maybe De Leon, if you consider him the starter right back going forward, then, then that's two, but everyone else is 24, 23. Um, Hamid is young for in goalkeeper years. He's young. Um, this team has room to grow. We, this wasn't, you know, in 2016, it was the entire roster playing at its ceiling at the same time. Um, this time, it's not that. The, this team has Im- room to improve just from players getting better with experience. Um, so that is a big positive. Um, they definitely do need to uh, go through an offseason where they make good moves um, that aren't, the, you know, Ben said the draft, I would add that I would, I would make that plural um, because the best off season they've had in the last um, in, in, since we've had a site uh, was the uh, post 2013 expansion oh, draft yeah, yeah, and yeah. all that other stuff. They used every draft and mechanism that was in place really well um, this year. That won't really help. Um, they need to look at uh, making moves that fit this group. Um, and we've seen them make moves in a vacuum that were good. You know, I, I still maintain that Marcus Halstey is a very good player. Um, he just wasn't the right player for that group at that time. Um, and that's been some of the problem is that Brian you've got to find, you know, you've got to find a player that is both good and also fits what this group needs really well. Um, so yeah, but you know, Ben's apprehension is not misplaced. Um, but I think that, the the floor for this team going forward is still really, really good. I, I don't think Rooney is about to hit the D Rosario wall. Um, I mean, it, I'm not going to say there's a 0% chance of that happening because he is 33. Uh, but so am it, I. It, well, Ben, have you hit the D Rosario wall? Yes. 
I think oh, he hit it at 27. That's not great. Um, <laughs> that's not a, that's a, that's a harbinger of, of bad times. But um, the, the, the other thing is that like the way Rooney has played, it's not necessarily every once in a while DC tries to play him in behind, which is almost, you almost have to laugh because it's just kind of silly uh, to be playing him in behind. Um, but, but I think that even when he hits that wall, he's still, he, maybe he's not going to be, um, you know, a goal or an assist every single game good, but he'll still be extremely good. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of reason to expect this team to get better with a regular schedule that makes sense rather than this, uh, barrage of games. Um, some of these guys only just started to get, you know, Segura took a couple months, Mora took half a season to get to the point where they were um, viable starters. Um, maybe Mora or maybe Segura wasn't, he was a viable starter in the regular season, but maybe not of, maybe he was more of a viable game day 18 guy in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, room for this group to improve just as they are. And then there's the possibility of adding to the group now that the team is willing to uh, allegedly willing to spend money on more than just um, Rooney, you know, but you can spend money and still end up making mistakes. We see it, you know, look at the revs spending one yeah. point, whatever million on Michael Mancian and um, a few of their other um, busts. So um, it is a task, certainly that they have to spend money that actually works for the group, but you know, if they don't add anyone, I still think this is a playoff team. So the floor is the floor is high, I guess, is my 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 summary. Well, we will talk about what it is they need to do with some more specificity uh, in the second segment. Stick around. It's filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It's now the off season. Uh, I, I, I thought it would make some sense to do a quick or not so quick. Who knows? At this or point. quick. <laughs> uh, to do list for, for uh, this winter for DC United. Uh, 
I, I haven't written anything down. I'm just going to be going off the cuff for this, which is not like me on these podcast segments. This is the, th- this show is the one time I am ever the order Muppet in a relationship. Um, I'm very much a natural chaos Muppet, but ben have you Jason. heard the show when Adam doesn't host, <laughs> but Ben and Jason forced me to be an order Muppet <laughs> right now. I'm, I'm issuing that this is going to be we're, all we're, chaos Muppets. Jason and I are goat Muppets, which is the even more chaos version of chaos Muppets. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't even dispute that is the problem. Uh, so DC United obviously had a insane year. Um, the, the, the second half just being uh, up until Thursday night, everything we could have possibly wanted and more from, yep. from it was half a season. It was, it was delirium. Uh, but the season is over. So what do we want to see this off season? Uh, let's just go around one at a time, say something on or off field, whatever you want. Ben, what do you want to see this off season? I want to see an- list? It's not even a ranking. Just what's on the to-do yeah. list. For me, uh, a new center back. I think that we can all agree that uh, center back was one of the team's weaker points of the season, and it got better uh, later in the season. Uh, But it's something that can be improved. Uh, I think that Steve Birnbaum is still pretty solid. I think that uh, the other center back spot can be improved, and especially if they lay down TAM or DP money, probably not DP just because of the way this team is constructed. But if they uh, lay down some uh, high budget uh, player money or some low TAM money, that could go a long way into uh, solidifying this team and helping them play in this style that they have chosen even better than uh, this season. Yeah. I really want to see a TAM level center back. And I know um, not all, high paid center backs work out in this league. Um, the LA galaxy had the most expensive defense in league history and were terrible. Well, they have Chris Klein and yeah, that's true. And the revs all have also just swung and missed on several Tam or DP level center backs in recent years. But I want to see Dave Casper and, and the front office do some scouting, find a good center back and pay him the money to come here. Uh, I, I agree with this on the to-do list. Jason, what's on your list? Uh, I guess I'll take an easy one. Uh, pay Lucho the money that, that he wants. Um, keep him. <laughs> do not sell him, uh, sign him to a deal that he is happy with and keep him. Uh, it's not, I mean, for the amount of money they're going to pay him, they probably could find another very effective number 10, but are they going to find someone that's as fun to watch? Um, someone who works together so seamlessly with, with Rooney. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, granted Rooney seems Rooney seems like he could make me look good. Um, so I assume that if they trotted out some less entertaining, but similarly effective player that that player would do very well with Rooney. But um we know Lucho is good. Uh, we know right. that that he can be uh, not just like effective, but like I mean, there's there's a cult figure thing happening there too. Um, it's not just about uh, scoring goals and assists. It's it's you know 
the fan base loves this guy um, and for good reason. So, you know, I, I don't think United's going to come and nickel and dime Lucho when they come to contract negotiations. I don't think they're going to sit down and be like, let's get you on a, a new TAM deal and give you a hundred thousand more. I, they're going to show up with a real offer. And I hope that it's a good enough offer that he wants to stick around. It seems like he's happy. Um, yeah. It seems like he wants to be here. So um, get that one done. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, he's, he's my four-year-old's favorite player. Number one. Um, he, he's one of my favorite players. And I, I remember when Rooney was signed, everyone remembers when, when Rooney was signed, Sebi Salazar, one of his big criticisms was that he doesn't speak to who DC United's fan base is. He doesn't speak, speak to specifically the Latino portion of the fan base, which is a big and important part of the fan base. Um, and, and to at least some extent, Sebi's right about that. Rooney, if he's not playing well, doesn't necessarily connect with those players. Lucho does right now. He specifically the DC United fan base. He's one of us. He's one of ours. Um, and, and you, you got to keep him here and you got to keep him happy and not just for the fans, but because it's, that's the right thing for the team. Uh, my number one to do list, or I guess not number one, just on my to do list off the field is, uh, is in the stadium, fix the, the Chico stand, get rid of those aluminum bleachers, put in safe standing rails, um, do whatever upgrades, fix the wireless in the, the stadium, the LTE, the Wi-Fi. It's all bad. I had text messages coming in after the game. And if, uh, I'm separated from my family in the game during the game and need to text them that that's something that needs to go through quickly. But, um, they're finished building the stadium (laughs) basically is, is one of mine and and fix the things that were wrong, uh, at the outset, uh, because Audi field turned out very, very, very nicely and it it could still be even better. Uh, I'm not going to demand a roof all the way around the stadium. Uh, I'm I'm not going to demand this, that, and the other, but, I, I would like to see safe standing. I would like to see the supporter section expanded, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so, so I'll just stop it there. Um, since, that, since Adam brought up a roof, if you have any roof uh, complaints uh, at the underscore AMT on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ben. You brought it up. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, let I think I still have more if you guys want to go one more round got, at least. I got at least one I got, more. I got a thing. All right. Ben, what's your thing? My thing is sign a real coach and sign real players to uh, Loudoun County United. Uh, I, uh, I don't want it to be what Toronto FC has done and just uh, US, just academy players under the age of 19 that makes a mockery of the USL competition. I want it to be, of course, I want it to be concentrated on developing players for the DC United pro team. But as a part of that, I also, they also need to sign some legit professionals who maybe aren't good enough for MLS anymore, but who are legit professionals who can show these young players how to act as professionals. So it needs to be a balance and it needs to, they also need to like at least try to win. Unlike those uh, Toronto FC two teams. And that's it. If they're not trying to win, then it's just 
it's just another farce, even for the academy players, and they don't learn nearly as much as they could have in a, this fully professional environment. So, I want a Loudoun County United team that has mostly DC United Academy players, but also tries to win and is focused on developing players through winning. I mean, I think Loudoun County also gives you the option to reach a little bit on draft picks because you don't have to incorporate them into the first team. Right. So you can dig a little deeper, look for a late bloomer in the draft. Um, like Julian Buescher might still be in DC United setup had Loco United existed. So I, I agree. It's, it's important. And there are good, there are teams that are good to emulate on this front. And there are teams that are bad to emulate on this front. And I hope DC United gets it right. Yeah. Jason, what's your thing? Uh, well, Ben, Ben kind of took mine enough that I'm not going to bring up Loudon. <laughs> um, but it was kind of the same. It's kind of the same point. Um, I, I want to see that taken seriously. Um, but I guess, you know, throwing it through, you know, I, I have to come up with it on the spur of the moment. I, I guess I'm going to go with um, build out the staff, uh, not just, you know, the coaching staff and the front office staff. Um the coaching staff for DC is one of the smaller ones in MLS. Um, having more people in, in there helps everybody do a better job because they have less on their plate. And the same thing applies uh, in the front office. You know, you've got a bunch of people in there who I, I think we looked into this a little while ago as a site and DC wasn't just the smallest front office, at least according to what's listed on their website, they were the smallest by like 20%. Like they were 20% behind the union, um, a notoriously cheap team. Um, so they, they need to build it out because I think, you know, in, in my dealings with them, there are a bunch of talented people there that just, they have too much to do. It's not that the people are bad at their jobs. It's that they have five people's jobs on their plate. Uh, and so they're just sort of getting to what they can, um, you know, just, an expansion of this team, a bigger staff all around, I think goes, goes very far. Um, when I look, you know, you look at when I, I talked to, about, or in the first segment, I talked about the uh, away coaches box and how, um, you know, certain teams that are, are obviously known for not spending a lot of money, no one was in there. So um, when Chicago came to town and, and, you know, fire fans might even tell you that Chicago is actively trying to not, exist so they can move they can do a uh, pre-court and go to austin um you know the only person in their box was nelson rodriguez and he just i think it was just a place for him to sit and watch the game it wasn't for him to do anything um you know columbus comes to town pre-court obviously is nickel and diming them to to death um and it's just two players in suits uh again looking for a place to sit and watch the game um for some of the wealthier teams that, or the teams even that spend a lot, like Portland had people in that box and Portland's not among MLS's wealthier teams, but they spend like, you know, they, they put the effort there. Um, and it counts. Um, you know, that is telling to me. And I, I guarantee when United goes on the road, that no one's sitting in the away coaches box for United right. unless a coach is suspended. So um, those things make a difference. And I think that United needs to, you know, if they're going to spend on Rooney, they also need to spend on the things that maybe we don't see on the surface, but that make a big difference. I have nothing to quibble with there. Uh, back on the field more immediately, I want to see 
improvement either at the top line or depth uh, beyond just that center back position. I think uh, we we talked about right back earlier. Um, get getting someone on the level level of Harrison Awful could put this team at another level. Um, like I, you know, there there's room for more depth on on the wing as we saw um, this year. So I want to see players being pushed through new acquisitions, whether it's someone bringing in someone we know will be hands down the starter or bringing in someone who has a chance to compete for minutes. I don't want to just see people brought in as backups um, at, at almost any position. I think left back there, there's room to improve on more uh, um, whether or not Taylor Kemp comes back and, and Steve Goff just dropped in a story uh, this week that Taylor Kemp is considering retiring because of his injuries, um, which would make me sad because he's a very talented player and, and a good dude uh, from my limited interaction with him. So I think even beyond center back, there's, there's a need for, for more depth on this team. Do you guys want to do another round? I can scramble and think of something else, but if not, I'll, I'll turn to the Twitter box. I can do a short third. I think you're the one then, Jason. Uh, Spanish language announcer. Yes. Full time. Every 100%. game, no exceptions. All right. That was that was good and quick and correct. Good work, Jason. Uh, we, we have an email here from uh, a, a Mr. Zach, and I'm going to butcher this last name, Zach Leishner, uh, who, who hails from North Carolina, or at least he lives there there now. He, he says some very nice things about the podcast. Uh, he says, hey, Jason, Adam, and Ben, first off, I just want to say that you guys do an amazing job. I live in North Carolina, wanted to follow an MLS team, wasn't sure who to support. I started listening to Filibuster to learn more about DC United. This is my first season being a United fan. I wouldn't know as much as I do now if it wasn't for the podcast. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. And he has a bunch of questions, so we'll just uh, go through them relatively quickly. Um, uh, Adam, are we talking about a lightning round? I believe we are, Ben. <laughs> only, only you didn't say it correctly. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a lightning round. Thank you. That's much better. You're welcome. If you're doing a lightning round, you got to say it like it's a lightning round uh it's been a while since we did one of these so so let's do it uh number one and we kind of hit at this a little bit what time of what type of team do you guys see Loudon united building mostly academy players and second team guys uh i i would say yes to the first mostly academy guys i don't think it'll necessarily be second team guys um from who are signed with DC United. I think it'll be guys that are signed specifically for the USL team. Some of which may have a chance to earn a contract to come up because uh, that there've been other teams around MLS that have had success signing kind of career USL guys, bringing them into their system through their USL affiliate and then signing them up to, to the first team Um, that might've been more successful for Dane Kelly. Had he gone that route, uh, to join DC United rather than what he did where he had a goal in an exhibition game this year. And that was pretty much it. Yep. Any other thoughts? All right. Uh, number two, what big roster move does DC United make um, that this winter? Ben, I know you're skeptical that they're going to make it. And we've talked about where it should be. Do you think it'll happen? I think something will happen. I think they'll make a big defensive signing. 
Uh, I'm just hopeful that it's a, I mean, it's not gonna be Wayne Rooney, but I hope it, I hope it's closer to Wayne Rooney than Emiliano Dudar. <laughs> yes. Though Dudar was really good for that half a season. It was, it was like three games. It was not a half a season. It was more than three games. Okay. Four games. All right. I, I, we can all agree. We want it closer to Rooney than Juan Manuel Pena. That too. That? <laughs> You'll never convince yeah. me that Juan Manuel Pena and Emiliano Dudar aren't the same person. <laughs> well, I'm looking at Dudar's uh, Wikipedia page and the fact that the world is so small. Uh, Dudar, apparently, in, before he came to DC United, uh, had a. It went, you might even remember there was the story that he had a clash of heads that he had to be put into a medically induced coma. Yes. Um, yeah, briefly. I remember this. That clash of heads with was with Francois Affolter, who is currently with the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, <laughs> no. Because the world is too small. Um, but yeah, according to Wikipedia, he's playing uh, especially with Deportivo Merlo. And especially since San Jose is the worst team. So, of course, the right. head clasher plays for San Jose. Right. Um, but anyway, I, I know I'm derailing the lightning route, but yeah, Dudar is listed on the roster of Deportivo Merlo in the third division in Argentina. He's 37. He, he's following in another former DC United player's footsteps, Christian well, Gomez, who's like look, if 50 he's, and still playing. Right, if, if he's still playing at Gomez's age, then, uh, you know, maybe he deserves a statue like they made, a, uh, like, um, Nueva Chicago made of uh, Gomez because that's crazy. Uh, I can barely get up out of bed and I'm much younger than Gomez. So by the way, if anybody wants to get me a really awesome present, Christian Gomez, Nueva Chicago Jersey would be, uh, I I would probably lose my mind over that because that's just the story, his story down there. He played with his kid (laughs) on the same team. (laughs) Um, Which is crazy. He's a hero down there, and deservedly so. And it's it's the best thing. Uh, next question: With United building a stadium out in Loudoun County, should they bring back a DC United U twenty three team in what used to be the PDL is going to be USL League Two because we're all angry <sighs> here. Maybe not next year. Maybe in twenty twenty. He he asks. Um, I don't know that much about the U23 setup around MLS at this point, Jason, I don't know if you do either. Um, um, I mean, what are your thoughts? My, I would think that for the next two years, they should probably just focus on Loudoun County. Um, you know, the, the U23 team hasn't really provided a ton for United in terms of tangible uh, positives. It has helped some players out. Um, Jeremy Abobasi, one of them. Right. Uh, and a few other guys. I mean, th- those teams were good, but in a lot of cases, United didn't have any rights to those players. They didn't have the ability to offer them a homegrown deal or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was almost like, uh, you know, a nice scouting expedition, but then the players go into the draft and you have to hope somehow that they end up with you. Um, right. And every and other with- team gets to watch them too. You they don't with- get to train with them every day, but they get to see them play with, with the other good players that you brought. Right. In. And with a USL team, you can uh, 
sign up to, I think it's five uh, mm-hmm. academy players to your USL team for the summer, and it does not affect their college eligibility, and they're still part of your academy. So I think that takes up a lot of the function of the PDL team. It gives the best US, it gives the best academy players who are not yet ready for to sign a full contract. It still gives them time to play professional matches for the USL team and then go to college if they're not ready to sign a team. So I, I think the PDL team, like Jason was saying, is more on a back burner. It's not yeah. quite as necessary as fully actualizing the USL team. Yeah. And, the other thing I would, I would say, like, I would much prefer DC United and other MLS teams rather than getting PDL teams and U23 teams in, in order. I'd rather them sign homegrown players at, at 18, 19 years old and then pay for them to go to college uh, while they're training and playing with the, that second team or, or even with the first team um, so that they have that background, they have that landing if soccer doesn't pan out or when their soccer career has to end because sports are a young person's game. Uh, They're giving those players more than just a paycheck They're They're helping set them on a foundation. I would, I would prefer that to anything that is designed around preserving college eligibility. And the, the one thing I would add is that, you know, I don't think we, we fully know the the amount of time that running an extra team takes the amount of uh, attention it requires um especially when you're talking about running a team that doesn't run afoul of ncaa eligibility rules and all this other stuff finding those players a place to to stay for that time um it's it's demanding um and so the, the fact that they've got to get loudon county from zero to functional team in a few months um I think they're just, they don't seem like they're staffed out enough where they're going to have anyone that has the time to deal with the under 23s at least for a year. Um, so, you know, the, the Loudoun County's existence might be the end for the DC United under 23s. Um, but maybe they can, you know, like Ben, Ben talks about, um, Loudoun can function, can have that function, um, can, can incorporate the whole point of having the under 23 team. Um, while still being uh, a, a USL team that's actually trying to do something. I mean, the fact that they're in um, USL's top division rather than the, the second division, I'm not going to use the silly names. They're silly. No. Um, we don't have to be English. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, we, we can do you stuff want. that's ours. Um, we can do things that are just things that we thought of. We don't have to copy somebody else. Um but yeah, uh, the, that's a sign of intent that they and, and the fact that the team is out in Loudoun County um, and not just playing at the stadium. It's a sign of intent that they want this to be a competitive outfit. It's not just purely development. Um, you know, Dave Casper referred to the Red Bulls, too, which has been both very good on the development side, but also that's a team that makes the playoffs in the USL. Um, they've won a USL championship. Um, so if that's the aim for that, that team, then um, it's going to take a significant commitment. So there's probably not really time for a distraction that, that, you know, the under 23s unfortunately would kind of become a distraction at that point. So getting back to the lightning round, uh, 
two more questions. Number first of them should should Russell should Russell Knauss get a call up to the national team in January? Yes, uh, yes, that, hard yes. That, that's easy. Um, he any he's coach that doesn't incredible. call him in sucks. Yes, any coach, whoever it is. Yes, uh, yes, and yeah, I'm moving on, Ben. I'm trying. And and next one, this one's a little tougher. Should Chris Durkin look to make a move to Europe in a few years, or should he stay with DC United for the foreseeable future? He phrased that in a very easy way, uh, because there's there's a non-zero chance Chris Durkin uh, receives offers from abroad this winter uh, and or next summer. So I think uh, it's a very good question whether he should go and whether DC United should be looking to sell him. I think if the price is right, if it... If if he's getting a couple million dollars, I I don't know if two million is is high enough for me, but it might be for for the team. Um, I think it's high enough for me. Uh, I mean, I really love Chris Durkin and I want him to cement his position at DC United forever. But he's not an Andy Nahar style, like exciting attacking player who makes who commands a. Three million esque dollar deal. He's a very good to great. It could be great defensive midfielder, but it's it's a little different. So I think the team, if they if they're offered two ish million dollars to let him go and bloom in Europe, I think they're gonna let it happen, and I'm gonna be okay with that. Yeah, from Durkin's hey. perspective, I think he's. I think he has a plan for his own development. And if that includes going to Europe now, then that's something that he will be looking to do. If it doesn't, then I think he's totally comfortable in his own skin enough to, to say, I want to stick around for another year, but I I don't know where he is. And one thing I'll throw in uh, as a, as a point here that might encourage United to at least raise their asking price there is a Copa America in 2019, which means that if Junior Moreno is fit, uh, he's going to be with Venezuela for like a full month, uh, maybe more in the middle of the season. Um, and that's the kind of thing where if you don't have a Durkin level replacement and those don't grow on trees, um, it could derail a, a, a promising season uh, to, to lose a player like Moreno and not have, you know, We've seen in the past that Ian Harks is very good going forward, but maybe isn't so good defensively. Um, Segura didn't convince playing as a central midfielder early in the season. Um, you run pretty quickly out of options. So um, that might be part of the consideration here is, is uh, looking at that period of time and saying like, look, Durkin's just going to be a starter for, for a while in the middle of the season. And if I'm not mistaken, now that I've, open that can of worms is is there a gold cup next year um I, I've, I've stopped thinking about the national team yeah there is a gold cup next year so canals could be occupied in that um so yeah uh in the middle of the year and it's it's during the exact same time frame so this team might need durkin uh not just you know it would be nice to have him but like actively need him for a chunk of the season um I- Jason, Jason, what what team were you talking about? The national oh, team. Yeah, I, so, I, I don't know what you're talking about. So the United it's Greg States of America, side the, the country uh, that we live in, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, has now you're familiar. Th- there's a national team for women. You know about them. 
Yes, they've um, won two World Cups. They're yes. really good. Uh, well, there's a men's version of that. Oh, team, really? And they try their best. Mm, haven't heard of it. Sometimes they sometimes they don't actually try their best, and that's pretty upsetting. I mean, I feel like the entire time from 2011 to now, they haven't. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to end it on a dark note. <laughs> uh, it's all right. These are these are dark times. Uh, we're going through a lot right now. And just like that, it's over. Kind of like DC United season, just to keep it on the sad. Uh, thank you all for listening to whatever it was that this was. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com if you want to support us financially. I'm not sure why you would, but if you do, patreon.com slash filibusters where you do that. We appreciate every single cent. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Find our personal Twitter accounts on the podcast Twitter page. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We proved tonight that we do check our email. So so make sure you do that. Uh, send questions, comments, feedback, advertising inquiries, hate mail, whatever. You know, we, we look at all of it, even if we don't respond. Uh, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever Spotify. you get your podcasts. Spotify now. That's a new one. Uh, I really can say wherever you get your podcasts now, because there are people who get their podcasts on Spotify and they can subscribe now. Um, I'm told that ratings and reviews help us out. So please do that. Uh, you know, if you don't like us, you don't have to do that. That's fine. We're not going to. Yeah. But if you do like us, please help us out with that. Mostly though, tell a friend about the show. Uh, when you meet up to watch the next round of the MLS cup playoffs, just, you know, bring up this show that you listen to. Um, do, do they listen to it incessantly or should they bring it up and bring it up incessantly. while well, like while other playoff games are happening just be like hey have you heard about this filibuster thing hey what about dc united hey listen to this filibuster thing <laughs> i don't know if that will help get us listeners but uh if, if you think it will then do that sure i'm, I'm not gonna you know it's only awkward if you make it awkward and if you want to make it awkward who am i to judge Thank you all again for listening. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We're keeping it awkward. Say goodbye, Jason. Uh, Vote. Yes, do that. And while you're at the voting booth, tell the polling place people about filibuster.